Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for popping into this recording. I am so grateful and excited. Thomas Davison is joining us from Accenture, Spain. And I have to tell everyone, Thomas is one of my absolutely all-time favorite people. And I am so grateful that he can share this moment with our next-gen consulting class as we really try to get a sense of what does it take to be a consultant? What does it take to be a true human-centered thinker in the consulting space? and we could not have a better alumnus represent what it means to be a consultant. So everyone, please welcome Thomas. Thomas, you are in Spain right now. So you are living abroad. You are seven hours ahead of us here in Chicago, and we are grateful for your time. Tell us a little bit about how you got to Accenture. What is happening in your career right now? It's so exciting to watch. Thanks so much for that. Welcome introduction, Stacey. Yeah, the journey to Accenture, it's been an interesting journey, um, but a really great journey where I've been working on the foundations and everything I learned at Loyola. So after I graduated from Loyola, I studied international business, economics, and finance. In 2013, I started working at a consulting firm based in Chicago. It was a very niche, small consulting firm that focused on corporate finance and corporate treasury consulting. So I leveraged that kind of very niche consulting market. And in 2015, I was looking for positions in Europe because I've always wanted to explore the world. I did a study abroad while I was an undergraduate at Loyola, and I really found that that cultural experience of getting out and finding what there is is really advantageous as a person, but also as a, as a professional. So I found an organization that was based in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, that focused on corporate finance and corporate treasury consulting. And so I asked them if they would be interested in bringing an American on, and they said, absolutely. It was a great skill set and a perfect company match. So I moved to the Netherlands, and I spent two years in Amsterdam, where the position was very similar to what I was doing originally in Chicago, just based in Europe. After two years of living in the Netherlands, Accenture Spain actually reached out to me wow. based off that, that I had and said, Thomas, we, we are really interested in what you do. Would you want to do that from warm, sunny Barcelona? And I said, absolutely. So I spent the past two years here in Barcelona, but traveling and working all throughout Europe and even back in the United States, um, working in a, in a global network of consultants with Accenture. It's amazing, Thomas. It's just amazing. Sunny, warm Barcelona alone sounds amazing, but that path is incredible. And I should make sure that everyone who's listening knows I've known Thomas for over 10 years now. So Ooh. this, can you believe it? <laughs> Good times. Good times. So to hear his career and see it continue to grow and develop in this capacity is really extraordinary. It's truly transformative. So Thomas, again, this is such a joy for us to hear more about really what drives you. We're, we're curious, and maybe you've already to some extent answered this. I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. What is your moonshot moment? What is this grand challenge? I mean, just getting into consulting in Europe sounds like a pretty big grand challenge moonshot. What really continues to drive you in this consultative space? So for me, my moonshot moment, this kind of grand challenge is understanding how does my skill set fit in based off of what I know, what I want to know, and where I can do that. And 
it's a global challenge. I'm not someone who wants to stay in one place for 30 years. So I have to understand what can I do now to start to prepare myself for the next year out, maybe here in the same location, the next five years out, maybe in a different area, the next 10, 20 years out as your skill set evolves and as what you want personally and professionally changes over time. And so constantly having that feedback loop with myself and understanding what do I want now? What do I think I want in the future? But also accepting what I want now and what I might want in the future is likely going to change and adapting to that and planning for that, I think is my big moonshot moment and how to find where my business is now versus in a global scale, what can I do to prepare myself to get abroad? Oh gosh. And it's so tricky, right? Because there are so many assumptions and so many of these kind of tricky, invisible rules that hold us back in some ways, but it sounds like you have a really strong shot forward. It really does. I'm not surprised (laughs) at all, but... Great foundations, great foundations. Go Ramblers. (laughs) So Thomas, tell us about Accenture. We know that Accenture is one of the biggest global consulting firms. What differentiates Accenture? What, What really, when Accenture reached out to you, which is incredible in and of itself, what allowed you to see Accenture as a differentiated place where you want to take on some of these moonshots? So Accenture itself is mostly known for its technology practice and and the consulting that it does in the technology space. And I think obviously, as we see everything has developed in the past five, in the past 10 years, as things become digital, as you look at automation, machine learning, technology is becoming a part of everything. So it's great that in the management and strategy consulting that I have this background in, Accenture always brings in a technology slant to that. And how are you currently using technology? What's the best way to use technology? What technology is currently available? What technology is in development? So that kind of always forward thinking and, and very important aspect of always having that technology slant, but at least in my practice, not only technology was a key differentiator for me. And how does Accenture stand out versus other organizations? Also, like you mentioned, Stacy, it's huge. There's over 500,000 practitioners um, that practice around the globe. And it's a great organization for someone like myself that sees myself in certain places for now, but then is ready to move on to other locations later. There's always a network that I can reach out to, that I can tap into and find some different experiences for myself. That's awesome. And I now I'm just, my moonshot is where will Thomas be next? This is, it's pretty, who knows? Who knows? It's pretty wild to think, but we'll, right now, Spain is, is very suiting for you. So with Accenture too, there's been, I think, some headlines and some, again, maybe just some talk amongst um, business practitioners around what consulting really means now more than ever. Um, where do you see a global firm like Accenture in terms of competing with some of these small boutique firms that might be able to be more agile, maybe in technology or with other practices? How, how do you see Accenture really taking on the smaller agencies or smaller organizations or maybe vice versa? What is, what is that sort of, um, I guess, hierarchy look like for you? Yeah, so at Accenture, a larger organization, there is a much stricter, more vertical hierarchy. So there is a little bit more bureaucracy, which it can be a downside. The, the upside to bureaucracy is we have resources at, at a large organization that at smaller organizations, they don't have. So we can 
have some experts based on different parts of the globe that know so much about a different area that we can tap into and reach out to like this. We're all part of one center. It's one organization. We all work with one another versus at the smaller organizations I've worked with, less than 200, less than 50 people. Right. If you're an expert, now you're going to have to spend time doing research, partnering with someone, and, and that can slow down your development. Yes, you might be more agile and being able to move faster, make decisions a lot quicker, but not having as many resources is a key differentiator between a large organization and a smaller organization. Mm -hmm. It makes so much sense because I think sometimes we wonder, you know, one of these invisible rules is if we sort of crack the code and get into one of these big, you know, global firms like Accenture, will we get lost in the, the global bigness of it in some ways? But it sounds like the network of resources is large enough to overcome any of those fears, any of those concerns. Exactly. And that there is that invisible rule that, yes, you can become kind of a cog in a wheel at a large organization, but that can also happen at a small organization. It really is up to yourself to, to show yourself as a key differentiator and you leveraging your skill set um, and your personality and what you're interested in regardless of what type of environment you're working in. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's something we all have to practice every single day. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Every single day. So Thomas, when you really went into this and your career built on itself in such seemingly natural ways, it probably didn't feel like that as it was happening. Absolutely did not. (laughs) But you make it look easy. What, tell us about some of the skills that if an entry-level consultant, if somebody who is just starting this is coming into Accenture, what would the skills be that that person should put forward in an application and a resume? What would a senior consultant like you look for in a new colleague, a new, a new person coming in? Uh, critical thinking is, I think, the bar none, regardless what sector you want to get into, what type of consulting you want to get into, that critical thinking, which is a key skill you pick up with an interdisciplinary education at Loyola, really helps you take a step back, pause, and, and think both bigger picture, smaller picture, immediate, long-term, understanding where can we find the root cause. So the ability to stop and, and see things critically in consulting, unlike when you're at university and you have your exams, there, there aren't right answers. There's better answers. There's good answers. There's bad answers that are easy and solve the problem now, let's do that one. There is no, oh, you got multiple choice B, you pick the correct one. And and being able to, to relax, to think critically, okay, based off of all the different parameters, the frameworks that we're working with, what is the best choice for us right now and in the long term? That critical thinking is key and showing a willingness to to learn and be curious is another part of that. So if you don't know the answer, which is very frequently because there are no right answers, it's okay to ask. It's okay to say, let me get back to you on that and do the research and want to find out that answer to help your client or to help your partners and your practitioners become better individuals and execute is another key differentiator. So someone who shows a a certain humility, but curiosity of, I don't know everything, but I would like to learn more is also, I think, a, a big key differentiator. And that has to create such a collaborative team, right? Where that is accepted and it's recognized that everybody is maybe curious together and will get to the best response. I think I think that's a moonshot in and of itself sometimes when we're in school and we're thinking, yes. what's the correct answer? The sooner we can practice that type of critical thinking, the sooner we can be in 
you know, the, the hierarchies and verticals and practices of Accenture. That's awesome. Absolutely. Thomas, that makes so much sense. I'm, I'm, my whole heart is leaping with excitement for, for what you just responded. Good. Well, I, you'll wonder where I got that inspiration. <laughs> it begins there, everybody. Thomas, I'm, now I'm blushing. I know everyone can only hear this, but <laughs> I'm red. <laughs> so Thomas, tell us what this all looks like, though, when you have a difficult client. What is that? So what if you do say, you know, I'm, I'm uncertain, I'm going to work on it, I'm going to get back to you, let me consult my global network, and, you know, what happens when the client really puts up some resistance? Difficult clients, they, they do exist out there, and it's, it's where you really need to lean on your emotional intelligence. So it's something that you have to practice in being with people and, and understanding, okay, why are they raising these objections and who is raising them, that critical thinking of, Okay, they're not just saying no to say no. People don't just say no to say no. There's there's a reason why they're saying no, or there's a reason why they're not as eager or excited or ready to move on to the next project. So it's it's being able to take a step back and and have those conversations, have an open dialogue and in understanding what their frustrations are, what gets them excited, what are they looking forward to, and having that emotional intelligence and really creating that relationship. So over the course of a project, you need to build up that rapport, show that interest in both the project, but also who they are as a person. Everybody wants to be seen, recognized, and heard. So if you can give someone who doesn't talk in a meeting that much, give them some voice, give them some interest and in, in acknowledgement, it will pay you dividends down the road. Do that because you want to, because you're interested in them and in the success of the project, not simply from a Machiavellian power play of, of leveraging the politics and getting people on your side. But I think having that whole persona interest, that cura personalis in, in everything that you do and the people that you engage with will pay dividends down the road and you will mitigate and minimize the number of difficult clients that you will run into. So empathy, it sounds like, is a big part of that, really having that, exactly. that understanding. And even if you have not experienced what the client's difficulty is, just connecting with the emotion that, under that experience. And I, Absolutely. I, I think that's so tough, again, for us to kind of get our minds into because we think of these sort of clients as being transactional. It sounds like Accenture really values the design of the relationship. Maybe you can tell us about how, how do you form yes. that like longer term relationship after you get by that kind of resistance? What are, what are some tips or techniques within the Thomas Davison playbook that we can all take advantage of? Um, I think being able to, to like, like you mentioned, yeah, being able to acknowledge them and get to that emotional level. You know, there's that phrase, it's just business, but that is an approach that I personally take and that I think Accenture doesn't either it's not, it's not just business. We acknowledge that your profession makes a, a big component of your identity, who you are as a person, you know, how you do your life and being able to really engage on that more, more than just a transactional level, um, getting to understand the people that you work with, that you're, you're going to be having a relationship with them, maybe six weeks, maybe six months, maybe two years, depending on the length of your project. So coming with that open mind of, I want to do well in this project, I want to engage with you in a person, find that partnership so that I can perform better, you can perform better, and the whole project goes better, I think is, is going to help you as a key skill. That's awesome. Well, and I, I think we're also connected to this just nebulous concept of time. So, you know, how long does it take to nurture the relationship? How long, um, how long term if the project has some 
some other, you know, urgent deadlines, those sort of things. Um, I mean, do you, do you feel like you have enough time? What, what give us kind of the life cycle of a project, Eden? What is that timing feel like? Time. That, that's one thing you'll learn. There is never enough time. Um, I, I think so with, with most of the projects that I work on, they're typically longer term, about six to eight months at a minimum, sometimes upwards of a year, a year and a half. And so you do luckily have that time to establish the relationship with with whom you're working with um, and understanding where your skills lie. I've got great personal skills and so it's something I leverage and I blast up front so I can create those strong relationships with the current client that I'm working with. We have a very strong rapport that people come directly to me. There's no longer needing to go to the manager or things above. So, so leveraging your strengths um, is something that I think is really key. But yes, there's not, there's never enough time to get everything done. So prioritizing and communicating, understanding this is what I'm working on because we understand it's a high priority. Here's how long I think it's going to take. Do we agree with that? If we all agree, let's move forward. We have a plan. As you run into road bumps, as you run into more resource constraints, time constraints, start to vocalize that as early as you possibly can. Right. Hey, we want this by Friday. We've lost a person to do something else now. That's going to affect. Do we want to deliver everything by Friday or do we need to push it back to have everything delivered by Wednesday? Or do we need to say, we'll accept it on Friday at 80%. So having that conversation, being able to communicate because you have built hopefully that relationship is very key. And even if you haven't had time to build that relationship, people will appreciate that upfront honesty and open communication and setting expectations is a key, key skill that you want to have as a consultant. I want to be your client, Thomas. I don't know what we'd work on, but I want to, I, I want to see all of this in action. I do. <laughs> well, and I'm wondering too, sort of in our final moments together, I wonder all of what you have mentioned is so, I think, strategic and it makes sense to develop your career in this way and it benefits the client and certainly the the Accenture culture. I love that you've mentioned our Loyola culture, the Cura Personalis and, you know, all of these fundamentals that you that you gained with your, your Loyola education. How does the values-based leadership of Accenture sort of come into your daily practice too? So maybe the mission of Accenture, the vision, the values, how do you see that as being a part of sort of your day? in and day out the great thing is that day in and day out what i'm doing when i try and explain it to my parents not as quite clear as what i'm doing <laughs> but i know what i'm doing has has value is it is driving value for my clients and it's making people's lives easier it's making things flow smoother it's bringing some benefit to them and so me as a person i can understand that my values align with what i'm doing in the grand scheme of things on that micro level, you know, am I saving the world? No, I'm not saving the world. But am I making some things a better place in, in the ways that fit my skill set, that vocation of what I'm good at and what I like to do, finding that mix of those two things together? Yes. And so that sustains me, that that gives me some joy. And I'm able to supply that and, and provide that for others. And I think it's kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy of creating value, driving that value and living by values that, that all align with one another. That is ultimate impact. I mean, that really is. It may be gradual. It may feel micro, but that is that is ultimate impact without a doubt. Thomas, one final question. So I think you have absolutely sold us all on we need to be consultants to make those impacts, to be values-based leaders and decision makers and collaborators. Um, what's the one piece of really advice? So if there is 
one of our next-gen consultants listening to this and they are, yes, I got to apply. I need to get myself out there. What's the one piece of advice that you would um, share? I think no, have an idea of what you want, but, but don't be afraid if that idea changes. Definitely commit to trying that idea. Do it for six months. Give yourself a good year in. And if things aren't working out, do that assessment. Well, what did I like about this? And learn what you don't like about things so that maybe your idea at the start is, yes, you want to join that giant consulting firm and get in and, and really commit to that practice. And then you realize maybe you want a more personalized approach, something in a smaller consulting firm or something more niche and boutique makes more sense for you. Reassess, constantly be aware of what, what makes sense for you and what doesn't make sense. And, and don't be afraid to change things up. That's awesome. Thomas, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Stacey, for everything. I, I just, this virtual environment makes these sort of things really, I think, convenient. And yet, uh, your humanity is coming straight through from Spain. It's so great to hear. To Chicago, through Zoom, all of these things. Oh, Thomas, I'm so proud of you. And to watch your career skyrocket in your moonshot is really so spectacular. So we can't wait to see what comes next for you. Continued best in Accenture Spain. And we will uh, have your LinkedIn available for everyone. If that Absolutely. sounds good. Please. Yeah. That's I'm LinkedIn and I'm part of the Loyal Mentors program as well. Um, so you can connect with me through the Loyal Mentors space online as well. So I'm, I am a huge proponent of getting Loyola into consulting and to different organizations. So please, please, please reach out to me. I love, I love, uh, hi Thomas, I'm from Stacy's class. Best start of an email. Well, they're gonna have to get in line with a Loyola mentor because I call the first role, I call the first spot in line. So after me, everyone else, follow Thomas's lead. <laughs> Absolutely. Thomas, thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks so much, Stacy.